And we're continuing on with our theme, be true in 22, being genuine, authentic, real followers of Jesus. What does that look like? How should we live? What should we think? What should we be guided by as uh, being real or getting real as followers of Jesus? So we're continuing on in 1 John and like I said, we're looking at 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 10 this morning. And I only told Cheryl um, the passage, didn't I? I told you the passage. I think I said I'm preaching on, on, on hope. Did that? That's what I said? I think so. Yeah. So we need to get real about hope. And uh, when I was in the prayer time in the, earlier this morning, um, people were praying for hope. And I don't know about you, but there are people in our world today that don't have hope. Jesus recognised them when he looked out over Jerusalem and he said, there are people who are helpless and hopeless without a shepherd. And I think we need to point people to the shepherd. And that's my hope today as we look at this passage together. Let's pray. Dear Father, many of the scriptures that we read are familiar to us or we've heard them preached before. And I pray, Father, that as we read this scripture again, it will be your living word to our hearts and minds that your spirit will take it, it will implant it, it will embed it in our hearts and minds so that, so that we can live it out day by day. Father, I pray that that's what you, your, your desire is for us. So help us to listen, help us to be ready to respond according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading from 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is what it says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Who can say amen after that? Are you just blown away day by day when you realise God's grace and love and mercy shown to you every day? Often I think about what I would be if I wasn't a follower of Jesus and I just really don't want to go there because God has poured out his love on me. He's poured out his love on us and that is what we are. We are children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. So we're not going to stay like this. We're going to change. And you all know what we're going to change into, I'm sure. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Anybody looking forward to that? Yeah, verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Christ is pure, just as he is pure. So I'm looking at hope this morning. What hope do you have? What basis for your hope do you have? And what hope can you offer to others? Verse 4 says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, that's Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. Verse 6 No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? We're going to look into that in a moment. Because I, sadly, still sin. I don't know about you. So what's John getting on about there? We're going to look at that. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray by phone calls at 1.05am or texts in the middle of the night. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy 
the devil's work. Do you find that verse encouraging? That Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. I find that encouraging. No one, verse 9, no one who is born of sin will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Pretty powerful verses, aren't they? I wonder how many boxes you tick out of those verses or how many crosses you cross out in those verses. But there's, there's some wonderful news about hope. So one, and I want to encourage you, it's not a, it's a, not a downer sermon today, it's a, an encouragement sermon. John Maxwell, one of the authors that I read, he said this, Hope is one of the greatest gifts leaders can give to those around them. Its power should never be underestimated. It takes a great leader to give hope to people when they can't find it within themselves. So if you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, part of the challenge is to be one who gives hope to people. Some of us would remember the stories of Winston Churchill. Anybody know him? Um, He said when he was Prime Minister of England during the darkest days of World War II, a reporter came up to him once and, and asked him the question, what was his country's greatest weapon against the enemy? This is what he said. It was what England's greatest weapon has always been, hope. So there's power in hope as well. And we need to know that power that we have. We need to know that confidence that we have in the hope that we have in Jesus. Verse 3 says this, we have hope. We purify ourselves as Christ is pure. So our hope is for perfection, ultimately, eventually, uh, for eternity. What does that mean? What is this hope in? What is this real hope? I believe we could call it God hope. I, could, I believe we could call it Bible hope, if you like. It's that joyful confidence in something that is absolutely certain. It's not airy-fairy, out-there-one-day stuff. It's that confidence that we have in Jesus Christ now and today. I wonder, do you have that hope? Everyone who has this hope in Jesus Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. So this morning I want to give you four things to hang that hope on or to understand that hope better. Four truths. You might want to take notes. Or, By the way, if anybody uh, wants a copy of my notes after the sermon, um, I do a PowerPoint presentation, which I'm happy to do a copy of those PowerPoints. I'm happy to give you a summary of the notes as well. Not today. I'll email it to you. So the first truth we need to be aware of is that Real hope is hungry to be holy. Are you hungry to be holy? Are you hungry to be righteous? That's what these verses are telling us. Verse 5 to 7 says, But you know that he, Christ, appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. That doing right and that righteous is holiness. You may recall the story of the missionaries that flew into 
Ecuador, uh, Jim Elliott and his uh, mates, they flew into Ecuador to try and uh, start a mission to the Orca Indians. Well, there's a quote from Jim Elliott. If you don't know, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of his background. Jim Elliott had this holy hunger, this holy hunger to live in a, a right relationship with God every day. A bit of background to the story, if you're not aware. He was one of five missionaries who uh, went into the Orca Indians. They, were, they, they speared him, they attacked him, they killed that party. And it happened on the 8th of January 1956. Even though the missionaries had rifles with them, they chose not to use them. They chose not to defend themselves. Um, a few years later, Life magazine ran a 10-page article on the Elliots and they quoted from his journal. So, he died on, in 1956 but this journal entry was written in 1949 and this is what Jim Elliot wrote. I think I've got it up there. Yep. I am dwelling in a generation to whom nothing is holy. Sacredness is an aspect people never assume toward anything. Oh, to be holy, he says, just to sense for a moment that I have somehow, however small, simulated some measure of thy character, Lord Jesus. Is it that much different today? Are we living in a generation where nothing is considered holy or sacred? I suspect we are. What's your prayer? Is your prayer to touch the holiness of God? Is your prayer to live out and be hungry to be holy, just like Jim Elliot was? Why? Why should we hunger for holiness? Why should we seek after righteousness is a question that I ask. And one reason is that which has gone before us. What's behind us? What's, what's happened in the past that we should seek out righteousness and holiness now? It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. In the New King James Version, if you've got your New King James Version there, in verse 1 it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It was the love of Jesus Christ and the cross that he went to that motivated Jim Elliot and his party to go to the Orca Indians. It was the love of Jesus Christ that they chose not to defend themselves but to be martyred. Because of what Jesus had done for them, they chose to do the same. Colossians 1 and verse 4 says uh, that Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption and forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That's what's gone behind us, what's before us, or behind us rather. And in Colossians, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, why should we hunger for holiness? Because of what Jesus has already done for us. We should hunger for holiness. We should seek after righteousness. But not, not just what's behind us, what's before us. What's before us? Eternity. We are looking for eternity in heaven, uh, that perfect eternity in heaven that God's promised. And that's what John had in mind when he wrote that verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what should motivate us to that holy hunger. Get real about hope. Be hungry to be holy. William Barclay, who is a Bible commentator, expressed this. He said, oh, sorry, missed that one. He said, John has just written that the Christian is on the way to seeing God and being like him. The man who knows that God is at the end of the road will make all life a preparation to meet him. Is that your plan? Are you preparing your life to come face to face with Jesus? So that's what we have behind us, the cross of Christ. That's what we have before us, that hope of glory. And that's why we have to have a real hope that is hungry to be holy. Second truth about hope is real hope refuses to be satisfied with sin. Mm, That's the crunch, isn't it? John reminds us of this. He says this in verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And that's that breaking the law of God. But real hope refuses to be satisfied with sin. He goes on to say in verse 8 this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. I've got to say, don't doubt your salvation based on those verses. There is some meaning behind them that the English just doesn't capture and I want to try and bring that out a little bit more. But what God is saying, he will never, ever, even for one second, give us the green light to sin. God will never say it's okay to sin. Never. And that's what John's emphasising here. William Barclay makes this comment. He says, this passage was first directed against the false teachers called Gnostics. You know, we've mentioned them numerous times. They had come up with more than one reason to justify sin. The Gnostics basically believed that our present physical bodies were evil, so there was no harm in satisfying our selfish desires. That's what they thought. Live how you like. It's the spiritual that's important. Make sure you got the spiritual side right. They actually taught that a true spiritual man was so protected by the Holy Spirit that he could sin to his heart's content and to and take no harm from it. They even taught that true Gnostics were obligated to explore the heights and plumb the depths of sin so that they might truly know all things. God will never, ever, ever give the green light for us to sin and disobey him. Never, ever. That is a lie. I don't think any of, any of us intentionally sin. I don't think we actually believe that it is good to sin, it is good to disobey God. But we do have another problem. And that problem is uh, denial or spiritual deception or, if you like, spiritual blind spots where we think, oh, that's not really that bad. There are some sins that we tend to be blind to, some things that we tend to gloss over. Maybe... Maybe we don't consciously excuse our sins but we have a tendency to pick and choose which scriptures we're going to obey. Have you been there? I think I have. 
we have a tendency to choose some scriptures to obey and to ignore others. Let me give you an example. There are some Christians in our world today who want to ignore clear Bible teachings on same-sex relationships. I doubt that any of us would ever do that. But what about the scriptures on tithing? Oh, that's not so bad. We might just forget about that one. What about the scripture on loving our neighbours? Oh, look, I really can't get on with that person. What about the scriptures on neglecting God's word, spending time with God in his word, or fellowshipping with God's people in the church? We all have our blind spots. But real hope refuses to be satisfied with sin, whatever that sin is. whatever. And God is in the business of changing us. He's in the business of, of increasing our hope. So we need to be hungry to be holy. We need to be dissatisfied with sinning. And how can we do that? We can be secure in our Saviour. We can know that we are secure in our Saviour. That's what real hope does. It reminds us that we are secure in our Saviour. Let's look at this. Verse 9 says this, No one who, who is born of sin will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Do you know if you take this verse out of context, if you just use that verse on its own, without referring to any other verses in the scriptures, no one would be safe before God, would we? Because we all sin. But there are other verses in scripture that encourage us that this verse should not be taken out of context, first of all. It is a verse that reminds us that we are secure in Christ and we don't want to keep on continuing in sin, so it says there. Let me share with you some of those verses in 1 John, verses, 1 to, verses 8 to, uh, to 10, chapter 1, we looked at earlier in the year. Verse 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in us. So John is not contradicting himself in one part of the letter. This is what he said right at the beginning of the letter and he's not contradicting himself in the verses that we're looking at this morning. If we confess our sins, what's sin by the way? Disobedience to God, isn't it? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what's this verse saying? I mean, if this verse taken out of context were real, then why would Jesus teach us how to pray this? Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our... Someone, some people learned sins, didn't they? As we also forgive those who sin against us. That's what the word debtor or debts means. Why would Jesus teach us to pray that if John is saying something different and he's not? So what is the meaning of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9? One commentator says this, When a person is born again, that person doesn't want to sin. He doesn't make that sin, his, or that disobedience to God, his trade or his business or his everyday practice. It's not his constant course in life to disobey God. He does not live and walk in sin or give himself up to it. That's the essence of this passage. It's that choosing 
to go against God's will is what John's writing about here. William Barclay also gives this explanation. He says this, The Apostle John is not setting before us a terrifying perfectionism. He knows that we are all going to make mistakes and sin. But he is demanding a life which is ever on the watch against sin. A life in which sin is not the normal accepted way but the abnormal moment of defeat. Do you get it? I think we've all been there, haven't we? John is not saying that the man who abides in God cannot sin but he's saying that the man who abides in God cannot continue to be a deliberate sinner. You know the difference? God says this, I choose not to do it. God says this, sorry Lord, I've mucked it up again. Anybody been there? I've been there, my hand's up. So what is going on then? We'll be looking uh, fairly closely at the next passage next week where John goes on to expand this understanding a little bit. We'll just have a quick look at it now. Oh, sorry. No, we won't. We'll look at it next week. Forgot to include it in the PowerPoints, didn't I? But you can read ahead. We're going to be looking at chapter, uh, verses 11 to 19 in 1 John chapter 3. But in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, John writes this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, that, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What's the direction there? To love one another. What's the sin if we don't love one another? That's how clear it is. Real hope, real hope is choosing not to let sin be in control. Real hope is secure in the Saviour who has died for our sins. And the fourth, thing I want to, uh, fourth truth I want to mention today is this, that real hope is led by love. Real hope is led by love. Verse 10 reminds us, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Real hope is led by love. It's the kind of love that led Jim Elliott and the members of his team, the missionaries, to sacrifice their lives even though they could have defended themselves. It was God's love that continued to work in Jim's family when his wife, Elizabeth, and uh, one of the other team members, Nate Saint, his, his sister, took them back to Orca Territory in Ecuador a few years later. It was this love of God, this, this hope that showed out in real love that led these women there. I want to finish with this story this morning and encourage you that the, that the hope we have is real. So we've got to get real in showing it. Not hopelessness, not worrying about tomorrow, but trusting God, who he is, his nature and his promises. It was this love that led uh, the two ladies back to the Orca Indians. It was the kind of love that 
made the orcas curious about why these women came and and curious too why the five young men had not tried to defend themselves. One of the killers of those men came to know Jesus in a powerful way and he actually became a pastor for the tribe through the influence of the wives. He was the man who later baptised Steve and Kathy Saint, children of one of the men that was killed, Nate Saint. Before their baptism, he walked with the Orca elders to see the place where their father was killed. And when they arrived, an elder said, this being the place that we came to to do badly, badly before, now I stay here, let's take Steve and Kathy and baptise them right in this place. Then he prayed this prayer. Father Creator, before we came here to do a bad, bad thing, it made you sad, it made you cry. But now look, now we have come here and we are teaching these two children of that man to walk your trail so that they will live well. Three years after those tragic deaths, Nate Saint's son and daughter were baptised by his killers in the same spot where they had taken their dad's life. God had changed their lives from one of hopelessness hopelessness and selfishness to one of hope for the future. What's God doing in your life? I put these in the wrong place, folks, so I'm just skipping ahead. There we are. Do you have this real hope? Real hope is to be hungry, to be holy, refuses to be satisfied with sin, secure in our Saviour and real hope is led by love. Is that the sort of hope that you have? Is that the sort of hope that you show to those around you? That miraculous, soul-saving, life-changing, powerful hope. That's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we want to be known and seen and understood as people of hope. Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. All that he has achieved and accomplished and is yet to accomplish. We, we want to be people who are obvious, genuine, real about our hope in Jesus. In the conversations that we have, in the decisions that we make, in the lifestyles that we lead. So help us to be very much aware of those times when we are being selfish, Lord. When we when we would lean towards sinning rather than obeying you. Help us to be aware of that and we pray that your Holy Spirit will prompt us at those times and, and encourage us to walk with you and to set aside those selfish ways. Father, we want to live for you. We want our hope to be real and, and, and to be seen to be real as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sean.